0: Welcome back to the John Clay Podcast. I'm John Clay, sports columnist with the Lexington Aero Leader and Kentucky.com. It is Thursday, September twenty second, two 2022, and on Saturday night, the Kentucky football team is back in action, now ranked eighth in the latest AP College football poll. The Wildcats take on Northern Illinois at Kroger Field. It's a seven o'clock start. ESPN2 has the coverage. Uh, For our scouting report on the Huskies, who are one and two in the season, I talked with Eddie Cariffio of the Daily Chronicle in DeKalb, Illinois, who talks about uh, the Huskies have been having some problems on defense. They have a really good offense, but they have had some defensive problems through their first three games. They lost uh, to Tulsa in a close one, and they lost last week at Vanderbilt in a game they led 28-14 to and ended up losing 38-28. to For Kentucky, for the scouting report on the Wildcats, we're coming off a 31-0 win over Youngstown State last Saturday. I talked to our regular guest, John Hale, who covers UK football for the Herald-Leader and Kentucky Doc. Before we get to the interviews, though, I wanted to thank everybody who supports the podcast. You can find the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Podcasts, and our radio podcast. Leave us a rating and review. That just helps other people find the podcast. We really appreciate everybody who has done that. We appreciate everybody who uh, supports our work at Kentucky.com and the Lexington Arrow Leader. Go to Kentucky.com. Hit on that subscription button. Check out all the offers for subscriptions to Kentucky.com. And the print edition of the Herald Leader. Also, you can, we uh, appreciate everybody who follows me on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at John Clay IV. Okay, now we've gotten that out of the way. Let's get straight to the meat of the matter. Let's get straight to our interviews. First with Eddie Eddie Carripio of the Daily Chronicle at DeKalb talking about the Northern Illinois Huskies. And then after that, you'll hear from John Hale of the Herald Leader and Kentucky.com on the Wildcats. Okay, my guest now on the podcast is Eddie Cariffio, who is the sports editor of the Daily Chronicle in DeKalb, Illinois, covers Northern Illinois, and Northern Illinois plays Kentucky on Saturday. First of all, how you doing, Eddie? Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks for uh, having me on. Well, I appreciate you being on the podcast. Uh, uh, Eddie, what about this Northern Illinois football team? Uh, b- people here are saying that they were f- favored to win the MAC this year. Is that true? And what are the expe- What were the expectations for the Huskies this year?
1: Yeah, well, expectations were pretty high coming into the year. Please note use of the past tense there. <laughs> um, it hasn't gone great for them so far, but our expectations were sky high. This was a team that won the MAC last year. This was a team that, uh, you know, coming off an O six year in the in the COVID year, uh, came out, won the MAC, totally turned things around. Is still really young. They have, I think it's only like eight or nine seniors on the roster. Really? It's an incredibly young team. Most of what was there last year was back. So obviously expectations were sky high. They were first in both the uh, coaches and media poll. And uh, well, then the season started. They uh, beat Eastern Illinois by seven in FCS school. And then they uh, dropped games that... Definitely seemed winnable against uh Tulsa and then Vanderbilt last week.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Both uh, close games, but yeah, winnable games that they lost. Uh what, what both that
1: they were winning like like they were up twenty eight fourteen with the ball and had a chance to win or just seal it against Mandy last week and just <laughs>
0: after that it was not good. <laughs> not good. <laughs> what about the Tulsa game? What happened in that game?
1: It's uh, told some similars back and forth, and um, they actually had the chance to seal the game, going for a fourth in, a, uh, I think it was like a fourth and four, I want to say, with about two minutes left. Bandy was pretty much, I think they had zero one timeouts left. Instead of punting, NIU went for it, and actually the, the play worked, the guy dropped the ball, though. Uh, okay. so. Uh, The way the defense had been playing, it didn't... I think it was the right call by uh, Coach Thomas Hammock. Um, The way the defense had been playing, it didn't matter if you gave him a 50-yard field or an 80-yard field. Uh, Vandy was going to go down and score. That was pretty obvious. So he wanted to give his offense a chance to win the game. And, well, it didn't work out. Uh, Vandy still gave NIU the ball... Or, excuse me, uh, Tulsa still gave uh, NIU the ball with plenty of time left. But... uh, uh, that drive ended on an interception uh, okay. off, after another drop, actually, <laughs> <Really>. <laughs> right off the receiver's hands. So, it definitely games of uh, shooting themselves in the foot where it was just like a play here, or a play there. And, you know, we're, we're looking at two three and no teams, but that is uh, very much not the case.
0: <laughs> yeah, one thing I've noticed, or at least reading up on uh, on Northern Illinois, Coach uh, Thomas Hammock in his fourth year there with the Huskies, he doesn't mind going for it. on. He's not afraid to go for it on fourth down.
1: Yeah, no, obviously took a lot of heat for it against me, he went in in a lot of situations where uh, more uh, traditional type uh, coaches would have punted. Uh, frankly, I've always hated punts. I I've always been in the mindset you don't win games by giving the other team the ball. Oh. But I'm um, a coach, so what do I know? <laughs> but uh, he, <laughs> so he, but he's been he's been doing that. You know, he he trusts his offense. Um, to, to get these plays uh, uh, with quarterback Rocky Lombardi, which, by the way, let's put a pin in that to talk about later. But, you know, he really trusts his uh, a quarterback who may or may not be playing Saturday. And so uh, they go out and give them the chance to make plays. Last year, they they capitalized on those chances. They were they were one of the best fourth-down teams in the country. That's why they were as successful as they were. Uh, this year, like I said, that that drop on fourth-down, it was by a, uh, a redshirt freshman that made the drop. Uh, th- th- then not getting into one of the more experienced players in that situation might have been a question mark. But uh, definitely going for it seemed like the right thing to do, especially, you know, in that Tulsa game with the way the uh, defense was played in that one
0: you mentioned to Rocky Lombardi. Let's talk about the Northern Illinois offense. Uh, Lombardi, a transfer from Michigan State, uh, where he got hurt in the Vandy game. Uh, do you know what, what his status is for Saturday? And and if he can't go, who would be the quarterback for Northern Illinois?
1: Yeah, Hammock is notoriously uh, tight-lipped with uh, injuries. Doesn't like giving away any type of advantage. Um, he did mention that it was better news than they were expecting on Lombardi. It was his uh, knee or ankle. when he, he It actually wasn't on contact. He was sliding, just slid awkwardly to avoid a tackle, and that was it for him. Really? So uh, status would be unknown. If it's not him, it will very likely be Ethan Hampton, who uh, came in and uh, was more of a caretaker in the uh, second half against Vanderbilt. And uh, he had one other start last year when uh, Lombardi was uh, injured. So I want to say a, his COVID year gets so confused keeping track of what everybody is. I want to say he's three years with the program. I think he's a sophomore. He might be a uh, uh, freshman. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, all, shirts, they all shirts, run shirts, together.
0: Yeah. <laughs> COVID kind of throws Yeah, you know, then off. they get
1: the pass for that one, and you got to remember, well, was he there then or you're right. Just right after that? Right.
0: So. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's yeah.
1: definitely uh, complicated and already complicated. <laughs> thing, trying to keep track of people's years and red shirts and stuff right. and throw in the COVID year.
0: Right. Exactly. Who, who are some so. other guys to watch on the Northern Illinois offense?
1: Well, obviously they're. <clears throat> excuse me, the running game is very good. Uh Um, Or at least in theory, the running game should be very good. Um, If they have, uh, you could say underachieved, uh, uh, again, not a professional coach. It definitely looks like a lot of the issues are not so much the backs as it is the blocking Mm -hmm. in in the offensive line, but um, the the running game with, uh, they got three backs in there. Uh, that have uh, been very strong this year. Ontario Brown and Harrison Whaley. Whaley missed most of last year with an injury. He came back, and Brown have been splitting time. I think Brown got most of the carries. Or excuse me, Whaley got most of the carries against Vandy, but it was uh, Brown who actually had, I think, a 51-yard uh, scoring run. That was pretty much like half of their rushing yards. So uh, and Mason Blakemore can come in. And he's been a, a, a third back who's gotten some yards for them as well. But that's, um, especially if it's going to be Hampton, the quarterback, which, I don't know, that's what my gut's telling me. Um, uh, rest up uh, Rocky for uh, uh, conference play when it starts against uh, fierce cornstalk rivalry against uh, Ball State next week. Make sure he's fully healthy. Let Hampton get the start in a game that, well, you're going to need to catch a couple breaks to win anyway. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. What about receivers? Anybody particular to watch there?
1: The uh, own Zone Cole Tucker's having himself a heck of a year. Right. The, uh, the the DeKalb native is uh, like I said, I've one of his having uh, by far his biggest season. Um, definitely has been a top uh, target of Lombardi. Their their rhythm has been really on. Uh, Casper Rudowitz is starting to emerge now. He spent a lot of time. He transferred over from Illinois state in the, uh, in the spring. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he early on was working with the twos a lot, spent working with Hampton. Once Lombardi got hurt, Rudowitz had a, a couple really big plays. He had a couple of big plays for Lombardi too, but it, it really seemed to emerge as maybe a target. So it's Interested to see if that's just something my brain's just seeing that's not there, or if that actually is something. I think there might be something there with uh, Hampton and Rudowitz. Okay, let's go. To also, Shamar Thornton. I should mention Shamar Thornton too. I'm sorry, transferred okay. in from uh, FIU. He's, he's shown glimpses here and there of really being a difference maker, but just you know, for whatever reason, they haven't been able to fight it consistently. Hasn't been able to play it consistently, and. you're still expecting like a 12-catch, 180-yard game out of him at some point soon. Uh. Probably not this week, but at some point.
0: At some point. (laughs) Okay, what about on the defensive side? Uh, Anybody in particular we should look out for on Saturday? Uh, Pass. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So they have not been very impressive on that side of the ball.
1: Uh. Yeah, actually, you know, and and I'm glib, but uh, C.J. Brown – their safety has actually been a, a tremendous playmaker for them. Uh, he had a, a scooped score against Fandy last week. I think Jordan Gandy was the one who fumbled, uh, forced the fumble. Hmm. He scooped it up. He also has uh, one of the teams, I think it's still three interceptions this year. Of course, three interceptions is notable because that's how many interceptions they had as a team all of last year. Really? Wow. And they've got that many already this year. Wow. So,
0: <laughs> were they expected so like, to be better than they've shown on defense, or did people think that was going to be a, a big question mark this year?
1: Um, I, I think it was supposed to be improved uh, for sure. Again, you've got mo- most of the players back from it's not, I think, out of defense. It might have literally been all of them. Plus, they added uh, uh, Kyle Pewback, who's been injured. In fact, an uh, eighth year senior. Kyle Pugh,
0: okay. that it's, linebacker. Yeah, I heard about him, and that Northern Illinois had an eight year player.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, you, you took all these pieces. I mean, you knew they weren't going to be lights out or anything, but they were going to be, the hope was better than they were last year. The offense would go along, the, the defense would be good enough, and that just has not been the case this year.
0: So is that the key for Northern Illinois on Saturday? Find a way, find a way to stop Kentucky, and uh, uh, or is there or are there other things that the Huskies need to do on Saturday to pull off the upset. Yeah,
1: I mean, at this point, thinking to stop Kentucky, they're stopping anybody really. For IU, is, is probably not the best uh, thing for a pundit to stay going into a game if they want to look good on the other end. Um, mm-hmm. The, the, it's it's been so tough. I mean, again, the potential's there. You see it when you look that this defense could be. I mean, not not like I said, not like a lockdown shutout every day, but you know, doing enough things, getting the turnovers that they didn't get last year, getting the sacks in key situations that they didn't get last year, to to make things a little problematic and keep things in you know thirty point range while the offense is putting up thirty five or forty. Right. But that that just hasn't been the case this year. I, I think. Uh, obviously, if it's Lombardi or if it's Hampton, it makes a big difference. Assuming it's going to be Hampton, uh, you, you would like to run the ball, but obviously Kentucky knows that. <laughs> so, I mean, everybody knows that about NIU anyway, even with Lombardi in there, that they want to try to run the ball and establish things on the ground. So, that with, with Hampton in there, I mean, you're going to be able to sell out pretty hard. So, And going to have to make some plays. They're going to have to soften up the defense a little bit. They're going to have to keep the ball, keep their defense off the field, at least try to keep it fresh. Right. And and against that Kentucky defense, that seems like that's going to be a challenge. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's an interesting matchup on Saturday uh, between the two teams. I said uh, uh, Northern Illinois picked to win the MAC. I know, as you say, not off to maybe the start they were hoping to get off to. Uh, I'm sure they'll be, uh, you know, ready to go Saturday against Kentucky and would love to upset the Wildcats before they get into their MAC schedule. Uh, Eddie, tell the people where they can follow you on Twitter and how they can follow your uh, coverage of the game, Uh, your your, – website and so forth, the coverage of the game on Saturday night and after the game?
1: Uh, absolutely. All our uh, all our stuff ends up on uh, HuskyWire on Twitter, at uh, HuskyWire. Also, uh, daily-chronicle.com for all our uh, coverage uh, from the game down there. Well, great.
0: That should be great. Should be a fun game on Saturday. And, Eddie, we really appreciate you being on the podcast. Hey, thanks.
1: Uh, like I said, I appreciate it.
0: Okay, we welcome John Hale into the podcast. How's it going, John? Good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, Kentucky and Northern Illinois on uh, Saturday night, 7 o'clock, ESPN2. Uh, John, before we talk about the game, I want to talk about what something that happened last week, a story that you broke uh, last uh, Saturday morning actually about uh, which led which uh, feeds into what happened with Jordan Wright missing the first game and Chris Rodriguez being suspended for the first four games or at least part of his suspension he'll be back on October 1st and that's about this program that Kentucky uh, the UK football players participated in a job related program with UK Hospital just talk a little bit about what you found uh, about about that the story
2: Yeah. So in some ways it felt like this was like the worst kept secret in (laughs) Kentucky football right now, because just so many people had heard this same rumor that the the suspensions were about uh, some sort of job program at the hospital and faulty time cards involved in that. And so through a series of open records requests, um, one that kind of led to the other and the other, we finally got it nailed down that there was a investigation into these jobs at the hospital that started in February. Um, The actual jobs themselves, they were hired as what they call patient transporters. So, you know, people who literally push the patients around from one area of the hospital to the other. And when they started it, started by J.J. Housley, who's a former U.K. football player, is now a administrator in the hospital. Uh, His point was we need big, strong people to push around patients and also it could help your program you know one email we found he actually suggested that they promise this to recruits that they could have paid jobs that definitely blurs the line of legal but right. the jobs themselves were okay by the incidentally rules because the rules are just that you you can have a job if you're an athlete but you have to get paid for work you actually perform and you have to get paid the same going rate as anybody else who has that job other students um, being allowed to have it and those were both things the compliance department had signed off on what went wrong is apparently at some time in the last year, some football players decided to start clocking in and leaving the hospital. And so they weren't even on the grounds when they were getting paid to be there. Um, Their argument is that they were told to do that, that, that that was allowed, you know, whatever, uh, but they found out that they were getting paid for work. They weren't actually performing. Wow. Um, obviously, we know two of the players, you mentioned Jordan Wright and, and Chris Rodriguez, who were involved. The names are actually all redacted from the reports we got, uh, but Mark Stoops has basically confirmed that those two are involved in this investigation. There are other players. Some of them, I'm told, are not on the team anymore, either transferred or graduated whatever. I think there are probably some walk-ons involved who we just haven't noticed missing from the games because we wouldn't have expected them to play anyway. Uh, so that's kind of the situation that we're at in, ver- in terms of those things. Kentucky self-reported the violation of the NCAA. We don't actually have the confirmation back from the NCAA that they signed off on the punishment that Kentucky made. But since they announced Chris Rodriguez is going to be eligible to come back October 1st, I have to imagine they've gotten some indication that that's going to be sufficient because they would not otherwise risk him playing and have to worry about you know vacating games or whatever at a later date. So I think that's where we stand right now.
0: Right, and 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 in reading your story, a part of the thing with the job was that they were told there would be. Uh, downtime where they uh would not be, there would be time in between when they would be called upon to move patients around, uh, whether to different areas of the hospital or different rooms or that sort of thing. But I think when in your story or something that they told, you know, you could use that time to study or you could use that yeah. time to work on your classwork or stuff like that. So uh, what, what it sounds like is some of them left and just did not come back or something to that nature.
2: Yeah. And I mean, like, from my experience, when I was a student UK 15 years ago, or whatever, now, there are lots of student jobs where you are in a location working the job, but they allow you to study or do whatever else until you're needed to do some sort of activity. And so that is not I don't think unusual in itself. But part of the way that they found out, what hours? Because there were some, it should be noted, there were some football players and other athletes who were working these jobs that were were actually working the hours they were being paid for. They right. found that out. But they went back and looked. they had surveillance video of certain players leaving the hospital when they were clocked in. So you obviously aren't working in those hours. And they also went and checked double checked the, the schedules and found out there were some of them who were clocked in or were listed as working on days. Uh, where they had class at the same time, or they were—it uh, was the 24 hours immediately before, or after a game, which right. they're you know basically on lockdown with the team at those points. And so these were—it uh, was clearly a situation where the boundaries got pushed. And should we know, the supervisor of the hospital was fired as part of this—the right. the woman who was over the program. So that was one action that was taken. All the players were also fired, and they are not allowed to work at UK Healthcare ever again. And the football players, the athletes in general, are not allowed to have these jobs. They just shut down the program, so they're not going to do that at all anymore. I see.
0: Okay. And, of course, Chris Rodriguez also had the DUI arrest back in May. He pled guilty, I think, in June, if I remember correctly, late June, early July. We don't know, uh, you know, this four games that he's having to sit out. uh, We don't know how many of those are related to the DUI and how many are related to this investigation, Right.
2: That is correct. Uh, it should be Rashawn Lewis, uh, Ray Lewis's son, who also played guilty to a DUI charge this summer, um, at least missed the first game. I'm not sure if he was dressed out in Florida or not, but he did play this weekend against Youngstown State, so we know whatever suspension he faced was less than four games so clearly there is more than just the DUI for Chris Rodriguez right
0: okay uh, okay let's move on to Saturday night Kentucky in Northern Illinois uh, it's Kentucky's last um non-conference game for a, a while they after this they go beginning October 1st down at Ole Miss they go into a long stretch of SEC games coming out of the win over Youngstown State last Saturday the the uh, all the conversation of the topic has been the offensive line, the running game. Both Rich Gangarello and Mark Stoops were not happy after the game with the way the offense performed. Mark continued that on Monday. I thought the more he talked about it, the more he aggravated he got <laughs> about it on Monday. What's your take on the whole, why isn't Kentucky able to run the ball more effectively than uh, it has to this point?
2: Yeah, I actually have a story up that uh, should be online by the time this podcast opens about that exact thing. I think it's, as so many of these things are, a a combination of issues. Obviously, the offensive line is part of it. No one is going to pretend like the offensive line is playing to their standards. And you wrote about this yesterday. Uh, They are not living up to this big blue wall legacy right now. So that's part of it. I do think there is just some natural adjustment in terms of the way they've changed their offense. They are really emphasizing this outside wide zone running scheme. William Cohen wanted to do that a year ago and basically abandoned it because he uh, transitioned to what the, the personnel was more familiar with and the coaching staff he inherited was more familiar with. Rich Gangarello and Zach are the outline coach, are not going to do that. They made that very clear on Tuesday when we talked to them that this offense is built around that and for it to work, that has to be part of it. So I think that's a piece. Obviously, Chris Rodriguez being out is a piece because some of these plays he would have just run through a guy or, you know, broken a couple tackles and then you have a, a couple big gains and that completely changes the, you know, the outlook of the game and how teams defend you. So that that's part of it. And then I think the new bit of information we got this week was it's not just the offensive line. Mark Soups on Monday brought this up, and Scangarello on Tuesday. Uh, three of the negative yard plays against Youngstown State were apparently wide receivers who just missed a block, whiffed on a block. And so it's easy to see a guy tackle in the backfield and say, oh, the offensive line messed that up. And it's not always their fault. It seems like the other guys share some blame in this. Mark even said at one point the tight ends have to be better in, in run blocking. So I think it's it's kind of a group effort there. Chris Rodriguez will help coming back, but I don't think he's going to fix it all on his own, so they have to address some of these other issues, too.
0: Yeah, and, and, thought, and you make a very good point earlier on there in your answer about how both Rich gangarello and Zach Ginter, the new offensive line coach, who were both together with the 49ers last year, uh, Kyle Shanahan's offense there, about how so much of what they do in other aspects of the offense come off of this uh, zone run scheme that they use. So if you say, okay, like Liam did last year, okay, we're not going to run the wide zone scheme. We're going to run more of a power or more of a gap-type running attack. Uh, it would be harder for this staff to do that because so much of what they do with play action in the passing game comes off of that. It comes off – that's my understanding anyway – comes off of what they do in the zone scheme. Is that the way your understanding is too?
2: Yeah, I thought Zach Enzer when we talked to him Tuesday was – probably the most cognizant or coherent in making that point so far. He basically just said, like, we're not going to only run the wide zone. We're not one-dimensional, but everything is built off that, whether it's our keepers or our play actions or our inside zone stuff, our gap schemes, it's all built off of that. I think was looking back. Will Levis said something after the game Saturday, too, about, you know, part of it is he needs to be better with his fakes because that is something that helps the run game too. And so that I think it's all interconnected there. And and the other part we didn't mention with the offensive line is, you know, they've started a different five every game so far. And at least two, I think three of their starters missed significant time in camp. So those guys just don't have a lot of snaps playing together yet. Right. And the more they do that you know, the better you would think they'll, they'll get.
0: Yeah, Eli Cox, when we talked to him on Tuesday, and Eli also, the more he talked, the uh, the more aggravated he seemed to get. Uh, I mean, his main message to me anyway was that we, we need continuity. We need yeah. more time together playing as a group together. And, you know, we have to remember, too, uh, you've got Kenneth Horsey playing left tackle. He was a preseason All-SEC guard who's moved out to tackle a position he hasn't played a whole lot. You got Jagger Burton starting next to him, who they think is going to be a really good player. But this is his first year as a starter. He's a young guy, second year in the program. You know, on the other side, you got Tayshawn Manning who didn't play um, on Saturday. They held him out against Youngstown because of injury. Although we expect to have him back on Saturday, and then uh, then you got Jeremy Flax, a so first year starter at the other tackle and Eli himself he played guard and has moved to center so you get a lot of shuffling a lot of new guys in the offensive line so I mean I think we should have maybe not to this point where they're averaging less than three yards per rushing attempt in each of the first three games but you had to expect that there'd be some growing pains at least with this offensive line
2: no, absolutely. I mean, at, back in the spring, offensive line and defensive secondary were the two biggest questions on the roster. In the secondary, they went out and added three transfers this summer to address that. And the, the offensive line, when they didn't go out and add a tackle, I think we all saw oh, okay, they're pretty happy with their right. their options there. And in fairness, on media day, Rich Gangarello said, I think our tackles are good. So, like that, yeah. uh, that was the thing that they, they were per- fessing public support, at least, I wonder now if they just couldn't find a tackle who was good yeah. enough to come in and help in the transfer port. I think that's probably closer to the truth. Right. And all these personnel changes are are clearly an issue.
0: Right, right. I mean, David Wallabal started left tackle, and then by the second game, he was a reserve right tackle. So. <laughs> yeah, DeAndre
2: Buford was the starter at left tackle going into camp, and he didn't even make it to the opener at that right. position. He's a guard now. So. Right,
0: right. Okay, let's switch over to the defense. Uh, The defense has played really well. The first uh, shutout, Youngstown State. I know it's Youngstown State's an FCS team, but it was Kentucky's first shutout since 2009, their first home shutout since 1996. Have you been surprised at all at how well the defense has played through the first three games?
2: Yeah, I mean, I am surprised by the secondary in particular. I think we we knew the front seven was going to be pretty good because they have all that experience at linebacker, and those defensive linemen are – end of their third year in the program, and we're all really highly-tied recruits, so we could see that, but, you know, we had so many questions about the secondary, and, you know, Kedron Smith's been great as a transfer from Ole Miss, but Carrington Valentine has taken a huge step forward, which they needed to do. They even lost Jalen Geiger, one of their starting safeties, um, to what we think is going to be a season-ending injury, and that doesn't appear to really have set them back, because Jordan Lovett's a guy they're really high on. So I think that part of it has has certainly surprised me. It's another thing that we, when we hear preseason comments, you got to figure out what's what's true and what's uh, what's just hype. And when Brad White started throwing out these comparisons to 2018, maybe the best defense Kentucky's had in 40 years, um, I don't think Brad's a guy to do that um, without merit. And so I think that now we're seeing why he was so confident about that group going into the year.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. One thing, one bad thing that happened for the defense last Saturday was uh, JJ Weaver was injured early on, some sort of elbow injury. Of course, UK is not very forthcoming about specific injuries to players. He, we know he's not going to play Saturday. We don't know how long JJ is going to be out. Although Mark Stoops did say he didn't think this was like a season-ending injury or anything like that. Um, I asked Brad White yesterday, since you know you, JJ's happened uh, injury happened during the game. Now you've had a week to prepare with that JJ. Does that change anything? He shut down shut that down pretty quickly and just said no. Uh, what do we know about um, you know how they? What do they do with that JJ at least in the short term?
2: Yeah, they're calling it week to week. So I I guess they're still hoping that he can be back for that Ole Miss game, which is you know obviously a huge game. Without him out there, I imagine we're going to see more nickel. They're really high on the way Alex Safari has played so far at that position. He's big enough to where, uh, even though he's a defensive back, he has the size to essentially kind of play you know, Sam linebacker in, in that position. They, they call it the nickel or the medium or the Sam, depending on really what the game situation is. But he can do a lot of different things for them. And then Keaton Wade, who's a freshman outside linebacker, was... You know, one of their highest ranked recruits in this 22 class that they're, you know, obviously so big on. Um, I thought he's had some really nice moments in the limited snaps we've seen so far. He had the one really big third down hit in the opener. And then he had his first sack on Saturday against Youngstown. He'll play more. Uh, But my guess is most of it is going to be they need Jordan Wright to be what he is capable of being, what he was um, at Florida, certainly in his first game back, and then hope the two freshmen, either Afari or or Wade, can kind of fill in when they need them in certain situations.
0: Yeah, yeah. They seem to be pretty happy with the way Keaton played on Saturday when J.J. went out. I mean, and you're talking about two true freshmen there in Wade and Afari who've really, uh, especially Afari, as you mentioned, they've really made an impact early on.
2: Yeah, I, it was interesting with Wade. He's one of these Nashville guys they signed in this class. And um, I remember talking to the the high school sports editor at the Tennessean in Nashville last year about those guys. And he was just adamant. There's just no way that a guy as good as Keaton Wade is going to be kept off the field as a freshman. And, and Brad White and Mark Stoops talk all the time about how hard that outside linebacker spot is because they ask him to do so many different things. Uh, but the fact he's played as much as he has through three games, and obviously Wright was suspended the first game and Weaver was hurt. You know on the first drive of this last game is part of it, but I think it speaks to his skill set. I talked to his trainer last week in Nashville and he made the point that um, basically all throughout high school, Keaton trained with a defensive backs coach. So even though he's this huge guy and you know your prototypical edge rusher, he has you know coverage skills skills and that's something they really need at that position. So they're really high on the future, but he at least seems like he's he's capable of helping in, in limited doses right now in the present too
0: okay Northern Illinois coming in Saturday night they're one and two they were picked to win the Mac actually they lost a couple of close and lost to Tulsa uh, in a close game and then they lost last Saturday at Vanderbilt actually they played Vandy at home had a 28 to 14 lead uh, ended up losing that game 38 uh, 28 what do you, what will you be looking for on Saturday night when uh, the two teams play?
2: I mean, I think it, it starts with the run game. Can Kentucky like, establish any sort of positive rushing momentum before Chris Rodriguez comes back? So it's just not all on him to do it uh, on his own. And then you know, Northern Illinois going into the year, I thought this was kind of a prototypical trap game because they're pretty good by max standards. They have a good quarterback. Um, obviously, there's a huge game for Kentucky next week that you could risk looking ahead to. But I do think them coming out a little flat against Youngstown lessens the risk of that because I assume that that got the message home to these players that you know it was okay against an FCS team but you play a better team we'll see and then it sounds like uh Lombardi uh, Northern Illinois quarterback might not play this weekend which obviously hurts their chances of of keeping it
0: close to yeah yeah well it it'll be an interesting matchup uh, on Saturday, just because it, it, even without Lombardi, I think Northern Illinois, they look like they have a pretty good offense. So yeah. it'll be a challenge for Kentucky's defense. And Brad White let us know yesterday in uncertain terms, even though they play well the first three games, there's a lot he thinks that they need need to work on. Uh, John Wyatt, have plenty of coverage. He's had plenty of coverage all week uh, leading up to the game, coverage during the game. Follow him on Twitter, John Hale. That's J-O-N-H-A-L-E underscore H-L, correct? That is correct. And, uh, I've during the game and after the game. Of course, anything else, uh, the listeners need to look for, John?
2: I think we better covered it. Um, obviously next week, Ole Miss is a huge game. Um uh, Jack Wes Jones and Keenan Smith get to play their former school. Chris gets comes back. So, uh, yeah. Players may not be able to look ahead yet, but we're already doing
0: that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. There's no restrictions on us looking at. That's what we do. Uh, so, Well, John, I look forward to seeing you on Saturday night, and thanks, as always, for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the John Clay pa- Podcast. My thanks to Eddie Cariffio of the Daily Chronicle and DeKalb for his scouting report on the Northern Illinois Huskies. And my thanks as always to John Hale, my friend and colleague from the Herald-Leader and Kentucky.com on the Wildcats. Thanks again to everybody for listening. Remember, we'll have plenty of coverage from the game on Saturday night. It's a seven o'clock start on ESPN2. We'll have my live updates with the dedicated Twitter feed about the game. You'll have my three takeaways after the game. Mark Story will have his five things to know after the game. John Hale will be posting during and after the game. So look for all of that coverage Look for my podcast on uh, either drop Sunday night or Monday morning with Mark Story, where we review the game and we look ahead to the Ole Miss game coming up on October the 1st. Check out all of that on Kentucky.com. Check us out on the, in the print edition of the Lexington Herald-Leader as well. Thanks again to my guests. Thanks again to everybody for listening. We'll catch you next time on the John Clay Podcast.